you. Okay, that's it. Today we have um, the honor of hearing from one of our worship pastors. <laughs> uh, Doug, come on up, man. Welcome him. Now, now's the time where I fumble with this thing on my hip. In a lot of organizations, there's like a hazing process, and that's, that's it. For <laughs> you shorted out the mic, you did it. Uh, I'm Duck, you might know me from right here. Um, I'm the one that sings louder um, than everyone else, so they just put me up here so that I would have reason to keep doing that. Um, I am, gosh, I just cannot tell you how uh, excited I am to be here. Is that, that sound right? I'm excited. Um, I love, I love this Bible. And I study my Bible, um, like when I make notes, it kind of looks like a serial killer. Like I have like a big printout and then I have like string and tacks and everything. And then like if uh, uh, no one, you guys are in a small group, you've heard me. When it's my turn to talk, it's going to be like 20 minutes and you're going to hear like some Greek and some uh, other languages and we're going to get super into it. I love teaching the Bible, but I don't really know how to preach. So I'm going to try to make that thing where I explain literally every word, um, like, make sense in um, 20 minutes. So we're going to pray extra hard that this works out. Um, if you have your Bibles or your, uh, something with your Bible on it, or actually it'll magically appear right up there. That's amazing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to work on the book of Acts. Um, specifically chapter 17. Um, Chris and some other uh, trusted members have um, spoken on various parts of that. So um, make some flipping sounds or silently scroll to right here. While you're doing that, I just had a, um, a meditation this morning and uh, it made me laugh. And um, if you're ever struggling with the concepts of justice and mercy... If you are struggling with what that looks like or what those definitions are, what does justice actually mean? What is mercy? God, show me these things. Uh, my wife and I live further out than we need to, um, and it's awesome. It's quiet at night. There aren't as many people, which is great for me because I don't typically like people. But one of the benefits of that is there's basically one road in and there's one road out. And if you really want to know how the Lord is working in your life, Drive behind someone who is doing the speed limit. If you, <laughs> yeah, if something in your heart just tears at you to tear at them, you might be struggling with justice and mercy. Enter this situation. You're driving to church. You really want to get there. You've gotten your hair turned out. You've got your best clothes on. You took your weekly shower and you're ready to get there. And some person, God bless him, is going 35 and a 35. Whatever is happening in your heart currently is where the Lord is wanting to work on you. Now, for me, I start praying for those people. God, I hope they get a flat tire. You know, it's just <laughs> mildly inconvenient, mildly inconvenient. I want someone to help them quickly, not me. Or if they cut you out in traffic and you're like, Lord, get them. <laughs> and you just want them to get off of the warning. Like you don't want it to be like bad. But that's justice in your mind because you want something that's wrong to be made right. Right? Yeah. Except when it's you. Yeah. <gasps> oh! That's where mercy hits, right? 
Because when you cut somebody off, you're going, oh, I hope they don't see the Jesus fish on my car. That's why I don't have one. <laughs> because when someone sees you cut them off, they're praying for you in the spirit. And you want them to excuse what you've done. Oh, don't look at my tag. You don't, I don't want you to know that I'm actually from this county, so I had no reason to miss my exit, but I was texting or looking up something on YouTube. I'd never do that. But the attitude that you have in that traffic is actually how the Lord is dealing with you in justice and mercy. This isn't the sermon. I just thought about this as I was speaking in some tongues on the way here this morning. So I'm not actually on staff, and that's why. Here we go. We're going to read. Also, this is my notes for that. I just want to show you that. Hello to everyone at home watching. I'm so sorry for a lot of things. We're going to read uh, Acts chapter 17, which is actually a very long passage, and it, it's going to be okay. Everyone's going to make it. If you were binging something on Netflix, you would be watching it for 42 hours. This will probably take about six minutes, and I'm not a very good reader, so that's why it's going to take that long. Act like you're into it, or we'll read it again. Verse 1. When they had passed through, these are some hard words. Amphipolis, there we go, and Apollonia, there we go, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, and to raise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many devout Greeks, thanks be to God, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men and a rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Bless his heart, who is this guy? Seeking to bring them out to the crowd, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogues. And these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed. And not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving his command for Silas and Timothy to come as soon as possible, they also departed. Verse 16. Now when Paul was waiting on them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw the city was so full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those 
who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears and we wish to know, therefore, what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. That should sound very familiar to us. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this instruction, with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you, that God has made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have even said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone and are an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We're almost there. Now, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, what happens? There you go. But some of them said, we will hear you again on this. So Paul went out of their mix, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray together. Jesus, have mercy on me as I communicate Spirit, we ask that you would move in each of these people to warm our cold hearts, to soften us, Father, to bring your glory in this place and that you would help shape us to be the people that you would have us be. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. So I know that was a lot. We're not there yet. We got a lot to do. It's going to be fun. Basically, as we've gone through the book of Acts so far, we have seen um, Christ ascend into the heavens. We have seen him send as a promise and as an assurance of the future inheritance, his Holy Spirit. It descends on the people, and then there is just this incredibly wonderful atomic bomb of revival. It happens. And the church is born right there. There it is, just spreading up. And literally every day, there are people being added by the thousands. The camera pans over a little bit, and we have this new player, Paul. Paul is a young upstart. He was schooled in the finest school that you could possibly be. He was now a Pharisee. 
In fact, he was probably one of the most zealous Pharisees, which is not a bad word. Some of us immediately associate zeal with something that's terrible. In fact, it was wonderful. In fact, when Jesus spoke of the zeal and the righteousness of the Pharisees, he wasn't criticizing them. He was actually saying, they put so much effort. I'm going to knock this over. They put so much into their holiness, and you have to surpass that. That's crazy. We'll get into that. So we got Paul, and while Paul is so full of this zeal, he does not actually accompany that with actual love for the true God as revealed through the scriptures. In fact, he immediately goes into a fiery persecution. And he's doing such an incredible job that everyone starts following Paul. And they're like, well, this is probably the deal. And Paul is the recipient of the first ever come to Jesus moment where Paul is on his horse and he is knocked off of this horse. Jesus literally blinds Paul and he says, what are you doing? He says, from now on, you will no longer be against me, but I will show you what you must suffer for my name. And Paul's entire life has changed. His entire point of view is changed in this church and this man, Jesus Christ, that he has worked his entire life against. He will now do nothing else but breathe out his praises and plead with people that they would come to know him as well. So that's where we are. That's where we've come up in these 16 chapters, and now we'll drop down into a lower gear and we'll start sifting our way through this. At the beginning of chapter 17, uh, Paul and his cohort, specifically uh, Silas and Timothy, these are people who Paul would travel with all of the time. The reason that an apostle would not just travel by himself is because uh, in Jewish law and in tradition, you would need someone to bear witness to you. If you just showed up on your own, most likely people aren't going to listen to you because no one knows who you are, first of all. But if you have other people with you, then it's at least credible. Like, he's not so crazy he doesn't have any friends. You know what I mean? So Paul's traveling with Silas. He's traveling with Timothy. And we can know from other writings that Timothy is actually extremely young at this point. He has a book written about him. Uh, we know that Timothy is learning and that Silas is Paul's trusted companion. They go into Thessalonica. We can read more about the church in Thessalonica in the books, First and Second Thessalonians. If that's never occurred to you, here we are. You can read more about them. It actually, Paul has a lot of really encouraging things to say about them. These people love Jesus and they love each other. But Paul comes in. He teaches in his traditional manner, which is he preaches that the Christ must suffer. If this is a concept that we've covered several times in the last several weeks and you still don't know where to find that, go to the book of Isaiah and read the chapters 52 through like 54. That is classically known as the suffering servant. Those are usually the things that we read over Christmas that says that he was bruised for our transgressions. It tells you about his birth and his crucifixion and, and later his resurrection. But Paul begins with the scripture as Christ did and taught about himself from the scriptures. And Paul says, if it's good enough for Jesus, let me do that. His next thing is he teaches about the resurrection, which I mentioned is kind of like him throwing like a smoke grenade into a room. As soon as he mentions the resurrection, people descend from the ceiling, people come in from all sides and like, stop, 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 stop. We gotta beat him. 
And that is unfortunate. This is my first time preaching, and I'm very excited about it, and I'm probably talking way too fast. But I would like to finish at least. This guy, Paul, never gets to finish. Now, I have two small kids. You guys can probably relate to that. Just wait until I finish telling you what I'm telling you before you talk over the top of me. Now, I, as a father, never struggle with that. But my wife, apparently, never gets... Because <laughs> I'm not as nice as her. That's basically it. Anyway, so basically what Paul does is he preaches his normal message. Again, he does not get to finish this message. But it says people come. There's something about our message of Christ and the hope of the resurrection that resounds in the hearts of people. And this is something we have to remember. Even if we don't finish, we're planting that seed. We don't bring anyone to the Lord. The Lord brings people to the Lord. He asks us if we want to play. Do you guys want to come out and play? Yes. That was when you were supposed to participate. Anyway. So it says, some came. While the Jews are in an uproar, this is not the people that are following him. This is the people who are upset that their toes are being stepped on. Somebody's getting credit. We're not getting the credit. Also, they felt like Paul was blaspheming God. And Paul was like, oh, I understand why you're upset. Don't hurt me. They drive him out of the town. This guy, poor Jason, we don't know anything about him. I would love to be in the Bible at some point. I'm not going to be in there. Jesus prays for all of us who believe in uh, John chapter 17. If you want to look at that, it's the high priestly prayer. My name's not going to end up in there. Also, I don't have a name. Duck is like an animal. It's, so anyway... But this guy, Jason, this poor guy, they drag him out in the middle of the street and they beat him. And he's like, listen, I'll give you some money if you'll just stop hitting me and leave my house alone. Like, we don't even know what Jason had anything to do with this. But basically, it seems like Jason paid a bribe and said, hey, what, do you, what will it take for you to leave me alone? That's unfortunate. The unfortunate part is actually these people who were religious zealots actually took money in exchange for something that they thought was true. Man, maybe that'll preach a little bit, but Chris will preach on that next week, maybe. Anyway, they move on to Berea. This is the second part. Verse 10. As they get to Berea, basically the carnival unfolds. Paul says, where's the nearest synagogue? I gotta get in there. As you can notice, Paul always gets into that synagogue, and the reason is all of that stuff I said earlier about him. He was a religious zealot. He was technically a Pharisee. So he had like the secret handshake for the good scrolls. You know what I mean? He'd get in there and they'd be like, oh, you're a Pharisee. You want to say any something? You want to say something? He was like, do I ever? You're going to hate it. He gets up there and he starts speaking. I have not looked at my notes one time yet. <laughs> this is terrible. But in verse 11, I want us to see this as the people of God. Verse 11, it says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? They looked at the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was true. Guys, that's something. Every day, they looked in the scriptures to make sure what he was saying is true. I know a lot of us have like a favorite preacher. I love uh, John Piper. I love Matt Chandler. I love reading a lot of those dead people that are really boring. But if the person that you love the most can't back up what he's saying with the scripture, then just hang him up 
and walk away. If he's saying something and you can't find it in the Bible, if he says, today we're going to work on uh, something I thought about a while ago. I heard a preacher just do this not too long ago. He goes, well, I was thinking the other day and uh, I was thinking nowhere in the Bible does it say to, um, to humble yourself. And I can't remember where it says that, but it says uh, um, you don't humble yourself, you let uh, God do it for you. And I thought, wow, where is that in the Bible? Because you just called out a second ago, you humble yourself. Let God build you up, but you humble yourself. You bring, him, you bring yourself to him. If somebody's teaching something and they can't tell you where they got it out of the Bible, don't listen to it. Paul even says of these people that they were more noble just because they said, oh yeah, we definitely uh, want to hear more about that, but we want to check the Bible first. What Chris was saying the other day, which I thought was great, I just got to keep pointing at him because I, I like him. Is he was saying, uh, does God like speak directly to you? Like, how are we hearing the Lord? Well, mostly it's here. But several times in the book of Acts, it says that it seemed good to the spirit and to us. We're put into a community and we are given this wonderful Bible. We have thousands of Bible apps. We're avail, like we have Bibles here. If you don't have one, first of all, I think it's okay if I say this. If you don't have a Bible, we're gonna give you one. That's okay, Scott, right? Okay, if you don't have a physical Bible, we're gonna give you, I'm not on staff, so I make all kinds of promises. But the reason that they were confident in saying these things, that this is what God is wanting, is because they said, is this in the scriptures? And Paul was able to say, yes. Look in the Psalms. Look in what is in the Pentateuch. That's the first five. Look in Isaiah. Look at the prophets. Look. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus even took out the Bible and said, hey, look, 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 look. That's me. Jesus, when he went into the temple, he said, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. He gave them something they already had. Paul says, these guys were super noble because that's what they did. That could be us, guys. That could be us. We're people of the book and we need to get in it. It's awesome. Moving on. I had a joke about, um, there's this like uh, pop culture thing right now. Um, uh, people are calling it uh, being a Karen. Anybody familiar with what I'm talking about? Okay, so I don't have to explain it. Basically, what's going to happen is the first century Karens are about to pop in because uh, as soon as Paul gets to that point in his message where he says, um, the Christ must suffer, and also about the resurrection, he drops that bomb. And the Karens go wild. They go all the way back to the other town, and then they tell everybody, excuse me, hey, excuse me, hey. Hey, are you in charge? These guys over here, you told them not to do that, and they're doing it. And it says that the leaders from the other town came. Can you believe that? That's 50 miles. I'm not going 50 miles for anything, first of all, and I'm definitely not going to go there to beat somebody up. I mean, I love my family and all, but I'll be like, all right, you're far enough away. Like, I don't feel like you're causing me an issue anymore. 
And these brothers were like, let's go. And I'd be like, whatever. Anyway, so they remained there. These guys caused such a handle for Paul that he's sent off under cover of darkness. Now that was the deal with Thessalonica and to Berea, but this is a new level of serious. They sent him there alone. And guys, have you ever been alone? Like most of us never have to deal with that. But if you go alone to a new city, man, I got lost by myself in Venice one time. Let me tell you, I don't speak Italian at all. And they did not want me in the building that I thought was an embassy. I thought, like, they'll help me. And they did not want me there. And I don't speak Italian, and I can tell that. Paul gets sent off without Silas, without Timothy, or anyone else. And it actually says in verse 15, as soon as the people who conducted him there had received instruction, they're off too. So there Paul sits by himself. And in verse 16, he says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked. Guys, this hit me so hard. Hearing from so many of you in the last couple weeks, hearing from uh, a close friend of mine, Mike, who usually sits right there. Mike is supposed to be here. So many of us right now are in a place that we didn't think we would be in because we had plans, we had aspirations, we had hopes, we had dreams, we had whatever. Somebody got sick, we lost a job, we lost two jobs, there was a stinking plague going on outside. The person we want to be elected might not be. There's a lot of stuff going on. But let's look at the posture of a man who is constantly seeking to shape his life around the person of Jesus Christ. While Paul was waiting in Athens, his spirit was provoked and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, with the devout people, and in the marketplace every day with those two happened to be there. Guys, the difference between who we were and who Christ wants us to be is, is, is expressed in this sentence. And this hit me so hard. Uh, we won't go into it, but our family's dealing with it too. And I know a lot of you guys are in a place right now where are like, man, if it was up to you, you wouldn't be there. You really wouldn't. Even the people who are with you on a day-to-day basis don't know all the stuff that's going on in your life, and it's mainly just because you're afraid they're going to kick you out if you tell them anything else bad. If you've ever been there, just say amen silently to yourself. But while Paul had everything going for him, everything, we listed his credentials earlier. God knocked him off of his horse, literally. He changed literally everything about him except his name. No, changed his name too. He called him into something greater and better and gave him his spirit to go along with it. And while Paul is sitting there alone and probably very, 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 very frustrated, he looks around and his heart is turned over within him. Now, the Greek word here, I'm not going to get into. There's uh, probably 50 really good translations for this. Uh, But basically, he's having a heart attack. He is so broken for these people. 
Now, something that we can think about of ancient Rome and ancient Greece and everything was, man, these people were dirty. Like, if you read in 1 Corinthians, like, if you have to instruct your church not to have an orgy every time they have communion, now that is a church group. <laughs> the celebrate recovery meetings would be way more interesting. And you're like, guys, don't get drunk at church. I've never had to have that talk with anyone. And the reason they would do that is because in every other understanding of a religious organization, that was what you did. That was part of your temple tax. Get in here. And what Paul walks into is a horribly dirty situation. And his heart is broken for those people. His heart is jealous for God that he is not being given the credit that he is due. If we had a cross up here, which we don't, we have this, no one knows where this is. <laughs> there's a, it's clip art. So that's, we'll just imagine there's almost a cross there. That is a cross if you look at it from one perspective. But if next to it, we had set up several other God's symbols, and then probably a couple hundred other ones, we would be beginning to understand what's going on in Athens. One commentator actually said, in the city of Athens, it was easier to find a God than a man. I had to read that a couple times because I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Have you guys seen Gladiator? This isn't in my notes, but so far nothing else is anyway. <laughs> when he's sitting in that little cave and he's got that little tiny, little tiny idol and he sits it up there, people carry those around. Not just as a reminder that there is a God. They would literally worship that actual thing. People would carry them around, and then they would go to a temple, and then there was a temple outside of a temple, and as you were going down a street, you would pass just a likeness of something. And sometimes you would dig a little money out of your pocket because you got to do service to them. Paul's going to make a deal out of this later. <laughs> that's actually money. <laughs> anyway, that's very rare for me, so that was a big deal. You would actually need to pay homage to all of these things. It's a wonder people got anything done, which I, I don't know that they did. But it says Paul's heart was grieved, that it was turned over. The word in Greek actually leads us to an English word, paroxysm, which is literally like a, a fighting or a wrestling. Does that make sense? Anybody ever heard that word, paroxysm? It's, very, it's a longer word. So it actually leads us to that English word, paroxysm. He sees all that is going on. And it says he's not disgusted at them, but that his heart is troubled for them. And we see that he's not disgusted by the next sentence. He goes and he reasons with them. You know, if you're very disgusted with someone and you think that you're better than them, which that never happens, you don't reason with them. You talk down to them. You talk to them. You talk over them, you talk around them, but you generally don't reason with them. Does that make sense? I was trying to do it right then. Anyway, it says that he reasoned with them. And while he was speaking, some of the Stoic philosophers, the Epicureans, they all say, what does this babbler say? Now that babbler word is not just like uh, kind of an accusatory thing. It's actually, it actually uh, resembles... Um, the word for this tiny bird 
Um, if you've ever eaten in a restaurant that's outside, now every restaurant is outside, so probably you have. There's always those little birds that are kind of popping around in the parking lot, and they're eating like a French fry, or they're eating like some kid dropped a nugget, bless the Chick-fil-A. And they're just hopping from place to place. They don't have anything going on. They're just picking up little pieces of whatever. That's literally what they're accusing Paul of doing. They're actually saying, what is this little bird doing? Because he's using this term. They're using a Hebrew name, Jesus, Yeshua. And he's using this Greek term, Anastasis, which is the resurrection. He's picking from this thing, and he's picking from this thing, and they're basically accusing Paul of just knitting together whatever he wanted so that he can have time in the form. Does that make sense? But because of that next little thing, they can't help but hear more. In verse 21, it says, all Athenians and foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing else except telling and hearing something new. They couldn't help it. Oh, wait, what is this? It's a Greek-Hebrew thing? Let's get it. It seems to indicate that they didn't think much of what he was saying, but because he was saying something new, let's get him over there. Now, we got the Areopagus. This is a place we don't have this. Let's just call that. We're in a city, and right outside this city, there's this place. Basically, you think about it as uh, this is like the approval board for any new speaker or thinker who wants to come on the scene and make a name for himself. It's like uh, if you open a restaurant, you got to have the health board come out. You got to have the fire marshal come out. You got to have your um, uh, OSHA. You got to have your everything. Basically, all of them would meet in a room at one time, and then they would hear you, and they'd be like, all right, we'll let you talk. This is basically he's invited to the big show. So Paul gets up there. I also just wanted to know this real quick, which would be super fun. But this always going after something new, man, if you're not just thinking of your own life right then or the American culture, and if you think you aren't that person, I'm going to nail it down right now. I do this about 74 times a day where I've been sitting on the couch at night. We're watching a little Netflix. We just started watching the great British baking show or whatever. Man, they're so nice to each other. I just don't get that at all. The American Bacon Show would be funnier. Anyway, so I go in there and I stroll to the the refrigerator. And I look around and I push some things around. It's not really what I wanted. And I shut that and I slide over the pantry. And I do the same thing. I don't really have a taste for any of that. Shut that. I go sit down. I pick up my phone, which I had just sat down a minute ago, and I scroll. And when you get to the end of your feed, what do you do? You refresh. That's it. Because someone might have posted something. You can't miss it. Because on the Instagram, if you miss it, it's going to like shuffle it, and you're going to get it later. And you'll be like, how did I miss this thing? It was only from four hours ago. I've been here for five hours. You refresh. And then when you're done scrolling... You get right back into that kitchen and you open that door, searching for something new. Why do we do that? I bought everything in there. I know what's in there. But we do it. And there's religious versions of it too. It's amazing how much and how sneaky and insidious things get when it comes to looking for something new. It's amazing 
uh, Ravi Zacharias, which is like a big, giant brain and a really tiny, well-spoken body. He actually just went on in to glory, which is amazing. But he was saying it's so interesting how us as Westerners, if it's got an Eastern spin to it, we'll just take it on. Like as if somehow it's more noble because it came from the other side of the world. He was like, those deities are sneaking their way into Christianity all the time. We pepper a little bit of this in there. We pepper a little bit of that in there. We drop a little coin in for good karma. Huh? If you've tipped because of that, guys, what are you doing? Just tip them. They're people. It's fine. There we go. We got one. I like when people do that. But guys, this always seeking something new. We can do that with the Bible. We'll probably read the same chapter over and over and always have something new. Actually, I challenge you this week, if you don't have a reading plan currently, pick one chapter and read it every day. Take like Ephesians 1. Read it one time every day for five days. You will be amazed at what happens. We'll get to the end of this. As Paul is in the Areopagus, he starts one of the most famous sermons that's ever been preached. Other than the Sermon on the Mount, this is like they literally named churches Mars Hill. That was the other name for this area in the city. He looks around and he begins. He breaks basically every protocol that he has ever had in preaching a sermon. He doesn't use almost any of the Bible at all, which is crazy, but it's mainly because he hasn't written it yet. <clears throat> It's a Bible joke. There we go. But he also uses so many of these large concepts that as we begin to learn and feel comfortable in our own skin and confident in the word and the character of God that we can actually use in sharing our faith. He walks in and he looks around and it's so fun to read this. He says something which I've heard taught several times and is not indicated in the passage. He looks around and he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along, I observed objects of your worship. Now, I've heard this taught before where he was extremely condescending and kind of a jerk like Gary Abraham taught us a few weeks ago. Eh, I see you little idols over there. That's cute. He's not talking down to these people. Gary, was that okay? Okay. I was terrified he wasn't going to be here today. He is not talking down to these people. Guys, this is so important. He's not talking down to these people at all. He's coming in and with a humble heart and to the best of his ability, he is expressing the truth and the revelation of a supreme singular God to a culture that has never heard that before. And he's saying, hey, hey, I want to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. And I really want you to understand this. And I see, I see, look, this is all the gods here in Athens. This is them, all of them. You got one here. You don't even know his name. You just said, eh. I want to talk to you about that one. He's actually him. He's the one. This deal of mistaken identity is kind of the crux of the issue here in Athens. He's actually saying, you're giving homage to all of these and you're giving away all of your money and you're participating in all of this religious garbage. Whoops, not garbage. That was my word, not his. 
I want to proclaim to you the one God who is sovereign over all. Now, he uses some really amazing theological phrases, and I wrote them all down here, and if you want to see them, I'll show them to you. But the really big, broad ones that he uses is general revelation. If you read this passage in your mind, some little blinkers go off, and you were like, that sounds a lot like Romans 1. Well, Paul wrote that. That probably makes sense. Except he hadn't written it yet. Paul traveled around with like a little notebook. Uh, It was actually like a little um, scrap of wood with wax on it, and he would scratch notes on it. And as he's looking around at a city like this, he's looking at how guys are exchanging the glory of God for the depleted and tiny glory of things that were created. They're exchanging the image of the incorruptible for the corruptible. And guys, let's be careful in our own lives that we don't have a what if, that we don't have a fallback plan. I'm a Christian, but I also want to make sure I have that little Buddha statue in my house just because he was neat. There's some toes on that one, and I'm real sorry about it. But also, as Paul is preaching this, his concern is that they know, that they would know God, that he would... Guys, this is so important. This sermon is not, hey, do better. That's never his point at all. His point is, you are lost. And the truth stands right in front of you. You're staring truth in the face, and you have missed him. He is standing right here. His sermon says, the God who made the world and everything in it The Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in here. He created all things. He cannot be served with your hands. He has been patient with us. He has been so patient. He has set our boundaries of where we can go. He has established the works of our hands that we might someday find our way to him. And the day is coming. It says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness. This would have been so crazy for these Athenians to hear because their gods were so close to them that it would not blow their mind that the god would freak out and want to destroy the world. Except all the gods shared so much other power with all the other ones that they couldn't have have done it anyway. This god is judging the world in righteousness, which means he has the ability to do it, and he has the right to do it. And in all of the rest of his description, all of it's his anyway. He's literally saying he will judge it in righteousness through a man that he has appointed. This is where Jesus comes in. And of this, he has given assurance to all of us by raising him from the dead. Now, guys, that's the part where he drops the mic. But also the guys in the back, they turn off all the light. The sound system goes off. They cut him off. Why? Because he said something that was too much for them. Guys, that's so crazy. 
In our culture right now, you get in trouble by not allowing everyone to be whoever they are, right? Well, that's just my truth. That's what I believe. That's who I am. You can't tell me what to believe or who I am because everything is everything. And Paul's like, uh, well, not really. Because God is the sovereign of all of the universe and he will, jo- he will judge us in righteousness. And as a guarantee to us, he actually came to do that work for us and he showed us that he was serious by raising him from the dead. Everything is not everything. Paul actually is telling them in short, the days of religious pluralism, it's over. Only one can reign supreme, right? That, yeah, we got one. This, this section, guys. Get on in it, okay? We're gonna start closing the train down a little bit. We're circling the runway right now, so if you are really hating it, just... Hold on, we're almost there. Thank you, he raised his hand. Thank you, Micah. I appreciate that. But guys, let's look. He taught a scandalous message. He spoke it in a way that they would understand it. Now, there, is, there are parts of our faith that are difficult to understand. Peter, in his letter of 1 Peter says, hey, I know that Paul wrote a lot of stuff and man, he's smart. Uh, Some of it's a little difficult to get. Which, man, I'm so glad that one of the other guys who was writing the Bible was like, gosh, Paul. (laughs) Because that gives me hope. Like, I don't know. There is a difference between explaining something in a way that people can understand and explaining something so they like it. Does that make sense to everybody? Those of us who have children, we can't just make up stories about stuff. We actually have to tell them, hey, if you stick that in the light socket, that's going to be bad. We can't just be like, there's magic over there. Because like, eventually they're going to want to plug something up and they'll be like, no. We have to understand the difference when we're telling people about our faith in Christ. We have to explain it in a way that they can understand it, which means that we probably have to start understanding stuff a little bit. But it's not okay to pander. We can't pull things out that we're not comfortable with. Guys, I'm gonna just say this. I'm on camera, I'm being recorded, and there's an elders meeting right after this. There's part about this faith that I doubt sometimes. No one. (laughs) Thank you, Allison. But guys, we have the truth here. We have our community and we can confess to each other. We can say, God, I don't, I don't understand. How old is the earth? I don't know. <laughs> guys, I'm just gonna say, I don't know if we're supposed to know that. We still don't know if eggs are good for us. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what's really important is that we do the best that we can. Jesus invites us into this to share our faith. We're not all called to be Paul. This is probably the most amount of people I'll ever get to talk to, and that's fine. If the best you do is talk to the one guy at work that you think is the most open to it, then do that thing. We see later in the epistles, always be prepared to give an answer for what? The hope that you have in Christ. Just do the best that you can. 
Remember the scripture that you can remember? Write something down every once in a while. The Spirit is willing to work through you to accomplish His means. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The last thing I want to point out, and I promise I really am closing now. (laughs) I didn't read any of this. The last thing I want to point out is Paul didn't finish this message either. And people came. At every single one of these where the SWAT team and all the Karens come in is every single time the message is faithfully proclaimed, he puts the effort in, and then God comes down and waters those little seeds and you have little sprouts. That's so cool. That frees us up so much because Paul knows it. He wrote this portion. But it's like he didn't even get to finish. It didn't matter if he knew it anyway. And that's the crazy part, is that God uses that to bring people into the kingdom. The real point of this whole deal is they put as much faith that they had in as much Jesus as they knew, and God honored it. And guys, that should take so much terror out of our lives and sharing our faith. Guys, I just want to speak to some people here. Some of us are really struggling with control right now in this life. You'll never get it. Everybody raise one hand. Just do it. It'll be fine. That's as much control as you have. You're welcome. But guys, if, if the burden of always knowing everything keeps you from doing anything, let it go. You'll never get there. And that's okay. Some people like myself love, this is my normal Bible. This is huge. It's a team lift. (laughs) Study Jesus where you are. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in accountability. And don't worry about all of the answers. You'll get there. The Lord will lead you. He is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he who has begun a work in you is faithful to finish it. If you are looking at other people and where they are in their faith, and you are looking down on them, then you need to listen to the last 25 weeks of our study on the book of Acts, because that's been the crux of every message that Paul, Paul, excuse me, Chris, who's not Paul, has been preaching. Because these people literally knew these many sentences about who God was, and it says they believed. And at every one of these churches, they came to know Jesus, and they said, we want all of who that is. I don't know anything, but I'm in. I'm in. And it says they were added to the number. That's amazing. Guys, you're in. But so are they. If you're looking at the assemblies of God or you're looking at the Baptists, which we need to be to lunch, so that's why we're going to leave in a minute, or any of the other ones, and you're looking at the way that they believe in Christ as not as good as yours, go back and read this. Because Christ is working in their lives also. The miracle of the resurrection is actively happening in their lives also. The biggest miracle, whether we have someone real in here in a wheelchair and stand up and walk out on their own two feet is not a bigger miracle than us passing from death into life. And that's what's on the table. Let's encourage each other in that. Guys, uh, let's stand and pray because I think that would be good.
This has been super fun. I am so incredibly thankful to be a part of this church. <laughs> I just looked at my notes. That's terrible. <laughs>